passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. That roster, that locker room back there, that is some of the most talented men and women that Monday Night Raw has ever seen. And you've got no idea what to do with it. Here's an example. You've got a tag team, an amazing tag team like the Revival, who should be competing for the Raw tag team titles. And you've got them in Lucha House Rule matches. What I, what is a Lucha House Rule match? I don't even understand. Tell me what that is. Please explain it to me. Or, or how about we have more segments with urination in them, huh? Ha 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 ha. So funny. So cutting edge. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting. The A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night. Download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Way Take the mic. Hello everyone, I am John Pollock alongside Wei Ting. Welcome to Rerun Welcome to Rewind a Raw. I am John Pollock. Start it over. Start it over. This show's this show's ruined. No, we're live. That was my impression of the uh belief that Seth Rollins brought to his promo at the beginning of the show that Raw sucks. So I felt I had to start this show off with something that people are gonna say to themselves. That sucks. No, no, that was perfect. Good save. I like it. How are you, eh? Not bad. Pretty good. Uh, I, w- I was feeling really tired this morning, so I'm on two coffees, which is a rarity to me. I'm like, I feel like I'm like doing drugs. Like one <laughs> coffee's like already quite a bit. Two coffees is just like that's nothing, way. Oh man, what about I, you? I, I had two today. That's uh, most Mondays I have. At least three, to be honest. Mm, I usually, usually three is like my number on on Monday because it's a very long day. I'm up relatively early and then up super late, so it's a, it's yeah. a very lengthy day. But I'm all set to go. Let's do it. Are you awake now? Wide awake, dude. Let's go. Did you see any of the UFC card on Saturday? I did. Oh, you know what? I was actually at a party. And uh, it was on in the background, so I can't really give you much of an assessment of it, but I, I did technically see it. That speaks volumes that you were at a social setting and UFC was at least worthy of being on in the background. I think that's promising for this company. I mean, yeah, I would also say it, it might be indicative of how many social settings I find myself in these days. Maybe that's not too many on a Saturday night. So that could be an, an indicator of that as well. I, too, found myself in a social situation on Friday night. Uh, I was invited out. There was going to be this MMA media meetup, uh, which just uh, what a social situation for me to find myself in. Uh, I got to catch up with our good pal James Lynch, and I showed up 
And this wasn't supposed to be a big thing. At least I didn't think it was going to be. And I arrived there and there were about, you know, seven people or so. And then throughout the night, just more and more people started showing up. We ended up moving to another bar. And by 11 midnight, there were about you, tw- 25 people here. You just, Are you telling me that these journalists just kept happen, happening to, to walk into this bar? Yes. And it was like an it, infestation of MMA journalists. It was just everybody was there. It was just the place to be if you were MMA media on Friday night. And then at around, man. I want to say like 12, 1230, I knew it really became a party because they're off in the distance who just walks in the one and only, the notorious Glenn McDonald. It's like, oh, oh my, my God, Glenn is here. Now it wow. is a party. Glennie Mac. Yes, yeah, that's right. Wow, that's awesome. Was it just Glenn or any other any of our other friends? No, none of the others were there. It was oh. just him and uh, this shooter that he was uh, working with, but not a, not a Fight Network shooter. Interesting. Wow. Cool. I miss those guys. I miss these types of gatherings. So then afterwards, this relates all back. I, I leave here around 1, one thirty in the morning, and I'm telling myself that, you know what? I am going to get a coffee right now. I feel like a coffee. And I'm downtown. This is like Front Street area, and I'm walking towards where uh, the subway is. And I know that there is a Tim Hortons at this particular location. But I have to kind of walk out of my way to get there. And I walk all the way. It's like three blocks away. It's pretty late. And this this Tim Hortons is completely boarded up. And I'm kind of frustrated now because now I've got my, my head set on this. Like this tells me that I, I certainly have a bit of an addiction here. And I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, it's getting really late. I want this damn coffee. So I decided I'm going to just wander a bit more downtown until I find a Tim Hortons. I did not find one. Then I reluctantly got onto the subway. And then had to do what no one should have to do. I went to a coffee time. Oh, my. Wow. But they were open. So, hey, coffee time got my, my thumbs up. Coffee time gets such a bad rep. I mean, for Americans and people not not in, I guess, places where they have coffee time who aren't aware of coffee time is like, I mean, it's just like any other coffee place except like every coffee time I've ever been to is usually like, um... I would say a meeting point for, um, um, uh, the sketchier uh, side of a uh, uh, civilization, I suppose. Local trade, yeah. But um, I've never actually. I mean, I've probably been to a coffee time, but it, it's been such a long time. How is the coffee though? It's not that good, and that's someone that's coming from me. I'm very well aware of the reputation that Tim Hortons has in comparison to coffee connoisseurs, but I love Tim Hortons coffee. I love it. I like, me too. I, like I really enjoy coffee. it. Um, coffee time, it's like, I don't know how to be- best describe it. It's not good. Mm. Very watered down. It's, you know, the last resort for me. Is it, like, cheaper or something? I'm trying to, th- like, mm. what's the appeal? Tim Hortons just raised their coffee prices by a couple cents, actually, recently. I think it's cheaper. Maybe marginally. Not anything significant, though. You're in the same ballpark. I'd like to try maybe a blind taste test. That maybe we could do for you. That would be great. I think I'd nail it, though. I have my distinct uh, coffee flavors down. Like, you could probably put five local places in front of me. I think I'd do very well. Well, it also feels like it's a lot of work to go around to all these places to get coffees and then pour them all into <laughs> blank cups. So we probably won't do that anytime soon. But um sounds like a fun idea. 
Did you see my UFC main card picks that I put up on Instagram way? I did see it. Yes. Thank you. I Here. mean, I was again, I was a little disappointed at the lack of a dog filter, but um, I didn't know. go. I didn't go that far. Um, I, I like them. I, I feel like they would be better served as stories, though. Yeah, I, th- I thought of that as instantly after uh, Instagramly after probably would have made more sense. But it's I felt much, I, I felt um, if I posted as a story, I'd have an obligation to update people throughout the night. Right. Okay. Maybe I got maybe I got both. a schooling. I got a schooling on the weekend about Instagram and how to uh, best to use it from an expert in the field. From your wife? No, not from my wife. Oh, from an expert. Okay. Yes. Like at this at this MMA journalism thing. Might have been. Yes. Well, I'll, I I suggest your wife because your wife is excellent at it. She's very good with Instagram. She's yes. really good at at Instagram and Instagram stories. I check her updates like all the time, and she's got like. She'll like, you know, like she's very witty. She'll like, you know, like draw. It's like she's she's really all the all the help that you need. The humor comes from her side in our relationship. Definitely. Uh, but anyway, I was get I was getting around to patting myself on the back. Five out of five on my main card picks way. Wow. Congrats. Wow. That's excellent. You may uh, you may be able to take me out of the game, but boom, put me right back in. I can do these picks with the best of them. Oh, you never people. You're like one of those people who like, you know, comes, comes and wrestles for the WWE and people chant, you still got it. And then you're like, I never lost it. It's what I did. Those uh, wrestling observer panel picks. I won two years in a row and I just, I walked off into the sunset. Basically what you're telling is if you like the gamble on MMA, pay attention to John Pollock's Instagram stories. Yeah, that's it. No promise. They'll ever come back, but it was fun. Very good card on Saturday. If you missed it, uh, main event, I highly recommend with Max Holloway and Brian Ortega. But the fight, I will recommend fights for way, I'm telling you, you must watch. Tiago Santos versus Jimmy Manoa. I heard that was... This is one of the craziest fights match. in UFC history. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Okay. All right. So there you go. All right, we have a lot to get into. So enough with the uh, the jibber-jabber as we get into a very, very busy week here at Post Wrestling. First of all, let's chat about some, uh, some in-house notes here. As many are aware of, we have the annual Christmas show that is uh, coming up on Christmas Eve. We will be dropping that show December the 24th. And for longtime listeners, you will know that a staple of the Christmas show is our annual jingle contest. And the thread is open at forum.postwrestling.com where you can post your submissions. Now, we give extreme leeway into however you want to uh, progress and submit your Christmas jingle. It can, well, it's preferred that it has some connection to wrestling or to us, something that is unique and clever. That's what we're always going for in our contest. Be clever. And you can submit them uh, by email, by posting them in the thread. Wait, what are you looking for in this jingle contest? What is your criteria? What do you expect from people? Um, I would, I would suggest, you know, a, a, some musicality, you know, I think we're always kind of swayed by like, in any time we've done like a music contest, we, we've been kind of swayed at like, you know, high quality productions, but that's not even always it though. You know, like if something is incredibly, uh, well thought, thought out, very funny, uh, conceptually or, or just well performed, I think, um, that often, you know, will sway us, but, um, yeah, that's kind of it. So my tips from many years of going through these jingles, number one, 
every year somebody sends us in a poem, which really doesn't add to the musical theme that we're looking for, I don't really want to get any poems. They should be musical submissions. Number two, length can be a very uh, tricky thing. The longer you make your submission, I think the higher you are raising the bar for success. So if you send us some six-minute jingle yeah odds are we're not going to play that entire thing remember remember you're you're trying to impress two people who spend like 15 hours a week watching wrestling so we don't really have that much time for six minutes i'd much rather a solid 45 seconds than a three minutes to drag that as it goes on longer when when you send me something that's that's three four minutes it's like dean ambrose standing backstage and dasha throws to a four minute video feature Dean's yeah. going to get pretty bored. Yes, yes, exactly. In fact, when they come back, Dean is no longer backstage. He has made his way out to the ring. So be mindful of, of time as well. Time can be your enemy. So those are my only tips. Uh, you can post them once again on the thread. If you must, you can email them as well to myself, john at postwrestling.com. Uh, but get them into us by Thursday morning, December the 20th. Thursday morning, December the 20th. So you have 10 days uh, as well. The thread you're mentioning, of course, is at forum.postwrestling.com. Yes. And as well, we have our best of and worst of shows. Best of will be dropping on Friday, December 21st. Worst of the following Friday. And we have put up the voting, which you can go to at postwrestling.com. Just look in the top right-hand corner. There's a beautiful button that Way has designed uh, where you can go make all your submissions. In order for us to tabulate all of these hundreds of votes in time for these shows, we are setting the deadline for this Thursday night at midnight. So if you are planning to submit your picks, uh, do so by Thursday night at midnight, and then you can tune into both shows, and we'll be revealing the panel's picks as well as the post-wrestling listeners' top pick for each category, which I'm looking forward to. Very interactive, best of and worst of this year. Yeah, I would. I, how long would you say somebody should set aside to go through these picks? I mean, as much as much and as little or as little time as you want, I guess. Really, you don't even have to answer every every category. No, you can just put in the ones you feel comfortable with. There's, uh, you don't have to put in all of them. Uh, but I know for you and I, these lists take a long time to kind of go through the entire year and then break down uh, what was the best and more so what was the worst. And sometimes uh, they they come together. Uh, with relative ease. Once you separate the best, then it's an easy navigation to the worst. Yes. All right. Now this week, what a week we have here at Post Wrestling. You're listening to Rewind to Raw. Tuesday night, Way and I are back with Rewind to SmackDown, as well as the double shot. Any teases this week, Way? Or can people just tune in and find out what is going to drop on the double shot? Well, uh, Total Divas is over for the year, so... um... I, I don't know. I think we have to look for one other thing. Are you going to continue with the Edge and Christian show? If I have time. I haven't obviously have watched it yet. Um, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I'm a maybe. How, about, how about you? I'm a maybe too. The Goonies episode kind of lost me, to be honest. But I'm going to give him maybe one more chance. Uh, and then uh, I thought BTE was in fine form today as well. So maybe we'll talk a bit about that. Okay. I watched Friday's episode of MLW. So I'm going to chat about that. And yeah, that's among the reviews we will have on the double shot. I'm also going to chat about the, uh, the Matt Riddle kind of mini videos that they've been doing on the WWE PC's YouTube channel as mm-hmm. well. So I'll quickly chat about those. Those are very quick watches. Each video is about five, six minutes. 
Uh, so that's on Tuesday night. Then we move over to Wednesday, and we're going to have the British Wrestling Experience with Martin, Ollie, and Benno, and they're going to have a very special guest on with them, Finley Martin, who is someone that has been covering the UK scene for years and years. He's going to be on to chat the passing of the Dynamite Kid. I'm looking forward to hearing that interview. I think they'll do a a great job uh, recapping the career of Tom Billington. So that is coming up on Wednesday. Then Thursday, just book the day off work now. It's not too late. We have the much-anticipated review, uh, Return of the Post Roundtable featuring Ariel Hawani of ESPN, We've got Up Next with Braden Harrington and Davey Portman. And then, live at 3 p.m. Eastern, it is the Cafe Hangout. And we're going to be joined by Sebastian Suave of Smash Wrestling. They've got a show in Toronto coming up on this uh, this Sunday. And if you are a double-double or higher member, you can watch this show live Thursday at 3. But you can also catch it on our YouTube channel way. Yeah, so for those of you who aren't members of uh, the double-double tiers or above... Uh, we've decided, starting with last week's episode of the Cafe Hangout, that we're going to put all of these on our audio feed. So a lot of you would have already probably heard our last one. Um, so starting Fridays, uh, we do them live on Thursdays for our patrons. But then on Fridays, we release them to the public, both on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash postwrestling, as well as on this very feed. And it's it's like we've been doing this for about a month now, and it's it's been a lot of fun. Uh, like... It's our essentially our only live show where we get to talk to people in person and uh, bring guests on, and you guys will hear all of it, technical mess-ups and all, so uh, every Friday on the free feed, but if you're a double-double ice cap or a special patron, you get to interact with us on Thursdays at 3 p.m. Yes, it's not technically flawless, like Rewind Arise every week. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Yeah, if it... Um... I guess if you want to peek behind the curtain, this was like John and I have spent the last like 20 minutes trying to like record this rundown of the week because we've just been hit with a billion technical issues. So hopefully, fingers crossed, this is the one. Then we move to Friday. We've got our Marvel review of Captain America, the first Avenger. That will be up for our patrons at the Post Wrestling Cafe. Friday night, we have ROH Final Battle. We'll have a post show. I'm going to be joined by Mike Murray. Always fun to catch up with Mike uh, chatting Ring of Honor, which I think way is going to be a historically notable show because this weekend is really looks like it's going to be the end of an era for ROH. I think it's supposed to be a really big show, um, at least for, you know, um, the likes of the Young Bucks who might have something big planned for that one. If you watch this edition of uh, Being the Elite. The king of the T's, Wei Ting. And then Saturday, we've got another edition of Eggshells. Chris Charlton will be uh, joined by Juan Torres of the Lion Marks to chat 2014. Uh, Saturday night, we'll have Post Pioresu with myself and WH Park. On that show, WH is going to be giving his year-end picks uh, for several categories uh, on the Japanese front. And then Sunday, it is the WWE TLC Post Show. Way and I will be live doing a video stream for Double Double, Ice Cap, and Espresso members. And then that podcast will be up free for everybody late Sunday night. So very, very busy week. But uh, I, I think we've got a stacked week of shows this looks tremendous on paperway 
Yeah, it looks a little daunting on paper, if I have to be quite honest. But we don't expect everybody to listen to every single hour. If you want to, please. I do. I do expect that. That's the least I ask for. Every second accounted for. Well, uh, but, you know, we uh, we want to be as comprehensive with our coverage of everything as possible. And uh, I think this week we will hopefully do our best. The Hawani Roundtable, I'm really excited for. Uh, We recorded it. uh, Spoiler alert. We recorded it last week, everybody. But... um, it was like one of my favorite ones of these that we've done. We we don't pull them out all that often because they're always really tough to top for us. But I think this one uh, more than more than does that. I think this one very much continues the trend of these post round tables and uh, topics that Ariel has not talked about anywhere else that I'm aware of. So I definitely recommend this show uh, for people that want to hear uh, about Ariel Hawani and what, what's been a very big year in his career so that's coming up on thursday on the in particular site. to in particular to anybody who's ever been curious about you know what it takes to become like a world-class journalist ariel like it was very giving with uh with his information about about you know how he got started in his career and maybe what he believes is you know uh reasons for his success and last two things just quickly to plug on the site i do want to make mention that uh, Braden and Davey have just put out a review of the 1995 film Mighty Morphin Power Rangers that I haven't looked at the numbers way. This might be their most popular show they've ever put out. Certainly when it comes to feedback. Yeah, like they're getting more feedback for this than uh, like the takeovers. So maybe this is going to be the new podcast from now on. Maybe maybe Scrump is clearly a draw coming out of All In. Of course, people are tuning in for the penis druid. They have to be. And as well, uh, complete opposite from from that is uh, WH, who just wrote an article on six Japanese wrestlers to watch in 2019. And he went outside of New Japan. So uh, I I think WH is among the most knowledgeable people on the Japanese scene. So do yourself a favor and check that article out. He's got a breakdown of matches he would recommend from each of the six and what to look out for in 2019. So that is all up on the site. Now some news. Uh, New Japan held a press conference to officially announce the entire card for Wrestle Kingdom. And we kind of went through it on Sunday's show after the World Tag League final. Uh, But we've now got the complete card. Omega Tanahashi for the IWGP title. Jericho Naito for the US title. or Sorry, for the Intercontinental title. Kazuchika Okada versus Jay White. Kushida versus Taiji Ishimori for the Junior Heavyweight title. Cody and Juice Robinson was officially announced for the US title. The Gorillas of Destiny, Young Bucks, Evil, and Sonata for the tag titles. Tomohiro Ishii versus Zack Sabre Jr. for the Rev Pro heavyweight title. Kanemaru and Desperado versus Shingo Takagi and Bushi versus Rapongi 3K for the junior heavyweight tag titles. Kota Abushi versus Will Ospreay, which appears way it is going to open the show proper at the Tokyo Dome for the Never title. Did they say that it would be the opening match? Well, they the way it's listed, and that's always the match order that they go by, this is currently listed mm. as the opening match, not including the pre-show. Interesting. Wow. Yep. And then for the pre-show, interesting this year, no New Japan Rumble. Instead, they're going to do a gauntlet match where the winners, it's going to be comprised of trios teams, and the winners will become the number one contenders for the never open weight six-man tag titles that are currently held by the Gorillas of Destiny and Taiji Ishimori. So that looks to be way where all the, the loose ends are going to end up, which there's quite a lot of big names that could end up in that gauntlet from Minoru Suzuki to Goto, Hangman Page, 
Um, there's going to be a lot of guys that just that they don't have spots for that are going to end up in that gauntlet. Yeah, interesting that they decided to give up the Rumble concept this year. And maybe uh, maybe when you have like such a stacked roster of guys like Minoru Suzuki or Hangman Page, they deserve a bit more of a of a spotlight than you know just a, ro- a Royal Rumble with the likes of like you know your comedy figures. Uh, New Japan has also announced they're going to be returning to the U.S. for shows on January the 30th in L.A. They're going to be running the Globe Theater that PWG runs. And then February the 1st, they're going to be in Charlotte at the Grady Cole Center. And this is as the New Beginning Tour is going on in Japan. So you're going to have uh, any wrestlers that are not booked on the shows in Sapporo are going to be coming over for the U.S. dates. And it's going to feature a number of the dojo students from L.A. and... The Globe Theater is not a very big venue to fill. It's about six, seven hundred, I believe. The Grady Cole Center is quite bigger. I think it holds about three thousand people. So uh, this is going to be kind of interesting as well. The fact that they're running uh, Charlotte just two weeks after Ring of Honor is going right there to a show in Concord, North Carolina. So they're basically running the same market two weeks apart. Hmm. So. Those are going to be called uh, New Beginning USA cards uh, from New Japan. Spring Break is going to, in fact, uh, feature two shows. WrestleMania weekend, they have announced uh, part two of Spring Break will be Saturday night at midnight at the White Eagle Hall in Jersey City uh, that they are billing around the the clusterfuck that will be on the Saturday night at midnight. So uh, tickets will go on sale this week, and I think way they're going to sell instantly just like the first half of Spring Break did. I think so too, especially now that Saturday doesn't really, um, well, I mean, I guess people who go to Ring of Honor should be able to make this show. They they have actually stated they will not start the show till everyone arrives from Madison Square Garden that wants to attend. I don't know how you can necessarily guarantee that. Uh, are they going to have like a tracker on everybody and where they are? But they have promised that they will wait until everyone arrives from the Madison Square Garden show. Like, if I really had my choice, and um, I, I don't know if I will, because we'll probably be doing shows at the end of all of these shows, but if I had my choice between the two, I think I'd be looking forward to the to the uh, uh, midnight showing a little bit more. Number one, so that I can watch TakeOver live. Unfortunately, that first night, it goes head-to-head head with the TakeOver. But I also think, like, the midnight crowd is going to be that much more fun. Although, if you're dealing with a midnight crowd that has just sat through, I don't know how long of a New Japan Ring of Honor show, I guess I do wonder about that energy level. Uh, but maybe it'll be a completely different crowd. The biggest question, will Yujiro get into the clusterfuck? Why do you ask that? I don't know. He just seems to be one that would make sense to. Uh, he could work the New Japan show and then jump across town and appear in the clusterfuck. I wonder if he'd be allowed to. Uh, he might not be allowed to. That's a great point. Um, some legal news. Um, so... Recently, uh, Colt Cabana's lawsuit that he had filed against CM Punk was uh, thrown out by a judge in Illinois. And since then, uh, it was uh, it was an available option that Cabana and his side could refile the lawsuit. And they have done that. So a new lawsuit has been filed. Basically, uh, Mike Johnson at PW Insider has a very thorough rundown of all of the filings. But in essence, the judge ruled that. Cabana's initial suit, uh, it didn't show that Punk had uh, 
had essentially that there was any contract here, that there was no enforceable contract and that Punk had tried to defraud him. So Cabanaside has since re, uh, filed a new lawsuit and in the new lawsuit, it is stated. So just to get the timeline here, the two were after the podcast aired, uh, Dr. Chris Amon had sent a demand letter to Colt Cabana to cooperate, to take down the podcast, to apologize and, Cabana has alleged that he went to Punk. Punk had stated that he will cover his legal bills. This was the communication. That's how Cabana interpreted it. And in doing so, Cabana joined the suit and he did not comply with the demand letter. So Cabana's argument is that had he known that he'd have to cover his legal bills, he would have just complied with the demand letter and he doesn't believe he would have been part of the lawsuit. It would have been uh, he would have been not included in any of this. The reason he joined the suit was under the assumption, the understanding that his legal be his legal fees were going to be covered. So something happened in all of this. It's clear that punk and cabana had some kind of a falling out. And that's when in the last filing, we saw the, um, the message that punk sent to cabana stating that I'm no longer covering your legal fees. This was in April of 2016 and stating that, you know, he had a comment about, uh, I gave up on you doing the right thing a long time ago. So clearly there was a rift and a falling out between the two. And Cabana was going to go seek separate counsel at this point. But the law firm that was representing them kept Cabana and was able to convince him to stay on. Then a year later, Cabana was dropped by the firm and he did have to go get his separate attorney, which if you were following the case, you are aware that he had his own lawyer there as well. So the new lawsuit, Cabana is seeking $200,000 in damages because of the legal fees. And we'll see if this suit has any more success than the first one did. Punk has until the end of December to file a response. But that's that's in essence what, what the case is. I know we, we've talked about it a, a, a lot way. There isn't uh, too much new here other than it seems that they're trying to be a bit more specific and seeing if this refiling is going to be more successful than the first one was. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as, as fans of both of those guys, uh, it kind of sucks to see that this still hasn't completed. Um, but you know, whatever, I hope justice wins in the end. How about that? And then just a quick note here, Becky Lynch was on, uh, Ariel Hawani show on Monday and she did talk about the concussion she received. Now, when she described it, she stated that when Nia Jax punched her, she blacked out. She said, I completely blacked out and said she was on autopilot during a a lot of that segment, which, I mean, if you go back and watch the spot, you can see she goes down and she grabs onto the rope uh, just to kind of hold herself up. And given the fact we know it's a legitimate concussion, uh, I think it's, it's very plausible that she actually blacked out here and how much uh, she was even aware of. And the, the example I always go back to is from SummerSlam 2000, where Kurt Angle takes a pedigree on the table and he gets a concussion and he's taken to the back and then he comes back and he does all his spots and you watch this. And afterwards, Kurt states, I don't remember a thing. It was comp- his, he was completely tuned out and it's insane that he did all of this, but um, it's, you know, it happens where you, you have heard of performers talking about performing with concussions and then having zero recollection of what actually happened. 
It really is amazing, I think, what, what the human body can achieve even in a state like that. But we often hear about fighters, obviously, you know, getting concussed and then continuing on with a game plan or just continuing to fight and deliver beautifully technically sound maneuvers because that's what their bodies are trained to do. Pro wrestling is, I mean, a very different thing because you kind of have to follow a routine, especially with Becky's segment, um, you know, having to complete the show, complete the, like, be the closing shot of the show. Uh, of course, with that very iconic shot at this point of her with a very bloody face standing on the top of that ramp. Quite amazing, I think, to think about, like, her being blacked out just prior prior to that and not really... Uh, being all the way there, yet having the rest of it turn out pretty well, I would say. All right, let's get into Raw from Monday night in San Diego. Show started out with Seth hey, by Rollins. By the way, uh, we typically uh, give out our uh, oh, of course, yes, 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 things. But I think we should save it for SmackDown. There's just way too much going on right now. So tune in to see who wins the pro wrestling t- uh, post wrestling T shirt. God, all right, we've got a lot to do. So yes. Yeah. Pack show. So tune in Tuesday night. We'll have our uh, our giveaway. Seth Rollins is in the ring and they're playing his music. So multiple times we got to hear burn it down. It had to have been at least four times this played as he just stood there. So, of course, I when think, the music. Had, I think they added more burn it downs. In they must have. Yeah. Like it's it made it almost a little bit obnoxious, to be honest. Because then when the music stops, Rollins says. I'm going to burn it down. We got the message loud and clear, and that's his rallying cry for this Sunday. Can't wait. Calls out Baron Corbin, and this was where they had teased throughout the day Seth Rollins is going to give his state of Raw under Baron Corbin. So Baron comes out uh, for one of the most fascinating segments of the year, uh, coming off a historically low number last week, both Raw and SmackDown, just in the toilet last year, their lowest numbers of the year. And Rollins says that Raw has sucked under your leadership, and it sucks because of you. Seth puts over all the talent in the locker room that Baron doesn't know how to use, citing the revival, and mocks the urination segments, and says that Baron Corbin, Drew McIntyre, and and Bobby Lashley have led to low ratings. He brings up Brock Lesnar being the universal champion, and the last time he wrestled on Raw was 16 years ago. Corbin is an abject failure, and talent support, morale, fan support, and TV ratings are at an all-time low because of Baron, and things can't get any worse. This was just fascinating to watch, Way. Well, it was fascinating, especially if you replay the entire segment and every time Seth Rollins mentions the name Baron Corbin you replace it with Vince McMahon and uh I I think it's really interesting to think about especially if Vince is the one writing this show as well oh he won like this was clearly Vince's written segment like this was not a writer pitching this this had to have been Vince McMahon and a reaction to like whether it was a build-up of a number of weeks or last, like last week just being the breaking point. I mean, we talked about it last week that these numbers keep getting lower and you don't sense any kind of response. Tonight was a response. Directly, yeah. I thought it was, I mean, incredibly interesting to see what 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 seems like the WWE and Vince McMahon pointing out, uh, reacting to the criticisms that they've clearly heard from uh, their fans over the past couple of weeks 
and kind of like making fun of themselves for writing really bad television over the past couple weeks. So I, I, I feel like this is almost like a veiled way to promise change by admitting that they were wrong. Um, but I guess we'll see because, I mean, you know, for all they were com- um, criticizing themselves about putting too much Gar- Baron Corbin on Raw, the solution, at least on this episode, was to put Baron Corbin in the main event. Yeah, and yeah, it was just a very bizarre segment to watch. And I- I'm never a fan of calling out on your own program that your own program sucks, even if you're trying to transfer that to the heel. I, I don't think that that's... That's heat. That's just why am I spending my time watching this show when here's Seth Rollins, the top babyface, that's confirming this show sucks. This is what all the critics say about my favorite TV show that I defend. And why am I watching this? So I, I'm not a big fan of that direction, even if there is a lot of substance to it. I don't know if that necessarily belongs on the body of the show. And I think that it's going to be very interesting to see what the viewership patterns are like on this show are people just tuning out after this or was this something that this was really intriguing afterwards to see what kind of show this was going to be afterwards i don't expect that much of a change you know i feel like uh i feel like maybe the next week you might start to see a bit of a change but i feel like people who decided not to tune in this week have probably made their minds after seeing their offerings previous weeks And you made a great point that their idea to remedy this and turn this around is to spend three hours building up to a Baron Corbin match when he has been outlined as the cancer on this show. Yeah, they said it themselves. Seth Rollins said it right here. Um, So, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, you know, I I hope to see how much uh, Raw changes, but... um, Interesting way of, I think, remedying their own problem that they blind out. Yeah, this certainly, this show certainly had the tone of just trying to blow up a lot of things and do things differently. I can say that. What do you think Corbin, of the line? What do you think of the line? Every decision you've made is to mask your insecurities. <laughs> um, I, I mean, don't is know. That Vince Mc, is that Vince McMahon describing himself? Is this a cry for help from the man himself saying, hey, everybody, I'm just a man with insecurities and I'm just trying to mask my own. Maybe he suffers from incontinence and this is his way of, I think, dealing with those those issues. I feel we could spend an hour dissecting this segment and the, the psychological uh, nature of it. I, I I just found it very compelling because... Unlike a lot of television shows, I mean, you can really get into the head of the main showrunner, Vince McMahon, on this show. And this used to happen pretty commonly uh, in the 2000s. Like, you could tell when Vince McMahon was not having a great week, uh, there was something going on, and he wanted to address something in the real world. There was a controversy going on that he was going to uh, provide his commentary. This was his playground to do it. It was on Raw through the television. And... That's kind of disappeared that as much as things may happen on the outside, you don't really see it injected in the show. But it seems that last week was a breaking point, And this just sounds like something where Vincent had enough. And this show, we are going to throw a bunch of stuff out the window and completely change uh, a lot of the stuff that we're do- at least that was the intent. I don't know how successful it was. I don't know how successful this well, show we- was. Well, we that saw no seemed Lucha. to be the intent. 
Well, we saw no Lucha House Party. We saw no pissing segments. And even the promise of the open forum was basically kind of nixed, you know, right after the segment began. So clearly a lot of changes were made. Corbin is the one who says that Ambrose is going to win the title on Sunday and he's going to beat Braun by forfeit. So Rollins then makes the challenge to face Baron Corbin tonight in a TLC match. And Corbin says he's got paperwork to do. And Rollins ends up goading him by repeatedly calling him a coward and literally poking the man until Baron agrees. But he makes it for the IC title later tonight. Yes. So Baron Corbin main events. Uh, yeah, I know what the people want. 25 minutes of Baron Corbin at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Then this, uh, to me, I, I think everyone was just reeling from this segment and trying to make sense out of it, that they probably missed the enormous gap in logic for this next graphic. Chad Gable and Bobby Roode, after losing their match last week to get a title rematch, are now getting a tag title rematch in a handicap match against AOP and Drake Maverick. This made no sense, this matchmaking. I had no idea that it was, yeah, I, 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 maybe they felt so confident in them winning that they just decided to like tease him. Hey, how about this? If you beat us, you can have these belts. Well, you gave more explanation than they did on this show. There was nothing about this. They, in fact, replayed last week's loss. So somehow Baron Corbin, who we just saw as the big heel authority figure in the opening segment, uh, has apparently just magically granted this team a title match. Anyway. The only reason I can think of is that maybe at some some point they realized, hey, we've really hurt these baby faces in, in uh, Bobby Roode and Chad Gable. And perhaps the only way to salvage them at this point is to not only give them a win, but to give them the championship belts as well so that they can ultimately come out of this program as the victors. That's the only explanation I can think about. But you know, you I, I don't have. mind the the end result, but have it make sense. Like this yeah. just made no logical sense to explain after this was uh, a notable segment last week of these two baby faces trying to get their title match and being thwarted by the heel Baron Corbin. And this week they're just granted a match out of thin air for the titles. So just give me some explanation for it that, um, I, I mean, that's to me what a show should be able to do. You have to make it make sense. And they felt like we're just going to skip that step. Rollins was interviewed backstage by Dasha and he says he can't let Baron get away with this. He needs to take a stand for everybody. And if he's a real champion, then he'll take a stand or else he doesn't deserve a title. And one thing you can say about tonight's show way, if it's indicative of what this show is going to be based around, Seth Rollins feels like the top guy. And I'm very curious to see how this is altered when Braun Strowman comes back. If we're going to see Seth Rollins more in that number one spot, because he felt like the baby face that this show is built around tonight. Mm-hmm. My, my guess would be that um, they are sticking with Rollins as the number one baby face. Cause he made mention in this particular interview about him, him being like, if I have to be, if I am the leader of this locker room, I have to prove it by facing Baron Corbin. So it tells me that they are trying to have him fill Roman shoes as the quote unquote locker room leader. 
Um, clearly, you know, I would say uh, him over Braun, he is the fan's choice. And this episode felt like it was them trying to, you know, cater to the fans. Yeah. And I mean, after Sunday, then it becomes the build up to the Rumble. And if Braun is facing Brock at the Rumble, I, I think that you have to put Rollins as the most likely candidate um, if he's not winning the Rumble to be getting the Brock match at WrestleMania. Like, he seems the most positioned for that spot at WrestleMania. Absolutely. Oh, well, unless AOP, Roman comes back, I guess. Yeah, I guess there's always that possibility, too. AOP and Drake Maverick against Bobby Roode and Chad Gable for the Raw tag titles. Renee was very impressed because Chad Gable and Bobby Roode have matching ring gear. That clearly was the missing piece in the puzzle. Then, it's about time. I guess so. Uh, Corey Graves brings up how Drake Maverick compared himself to Rocky, and Graves noted Rocky Four was his favorite. Oh, is that right? Okay, not mine. Have you gotten through four? How does this guy make a Rocky Four reference like that one week after I spoiled it for you? Well, I mean, Creed is Creed Two is out, which is heavily based on Rocky Four. No, I I don't believe that's the connection. It's okay. our show. Definitely. Yeah, has to be. Rude and Gable send Drake over the top with a beal, and then they come back. AOP's in control. They go for the super collider, but Gable avoids it by uh, delivering a Rana to Akam. And then there's the double team neckbreaker powerbomb, and they're laid out. Drake comes in. He goes for the pin onto Bobby Rude. Before he does the pin, he mocks Bobby's pose, and then as he lays on top of him, Rude turns it into a crucifix and pins Drake Maverick to win the tag titles. So the babyfaces finally get the upper hand in this feud. They win the belts even. But, I mean... <sighs> I think AOP is going to drop Drake Maverick. Like That, that seemed to be... Oh, dude. Where the heat is here is AOP didn't lose the tag titles. Their idiot manager did. And I think Drake is going to get dropped. Okay, sure then. But I have to say, everybody involved in this feud has come out worse than when they started. <laughs> Drake Maverick, enough said. Like The, the amazing 205 Live babyface GM is going to be the guy who pissed his pants on TV for a long, long time now. Bobby Roode, Chad Gable, they had their clothes pissed on, and they were beat up for an entire month before sneaking in a quick pin. And AOP, a team that I thought was one of the most dominant tag teams in the company, has just lost their championships in a handicap match. So um, I hope this is the end of this feud. It certainly has been one that is a contender for worst angle of the year. Um, and I don't really have a ton of faith that Roode and Gable you know, when this championship run will elevate the division at all. Yeah, I think it really comes down to, like, what teams you you have on this show to, to feud with. Um, I guess the Revival, they would make a lot of sense if you're going to do something serious with these teams. But I I have, it's, let, let's see what happens. I'm not going to put my faith in them all of a sudden having an awakening uh, to get serious about this tag division that has literally been... Toilet humor. Yeah, I think what you suggested makes sense, although I think it's a little disappointing for Drake Maverick, who I think really didn't get a fair shake in this role. Um, but AOP, I don't see them giving up the giving up on that act. Um, 
I imagine that they will get the belts back, but they made specific mention of the revival in that opening segment, so I anticipate them getting a bit more of a push. Uh, whether or not it'll be successful, I think it'll I think it'll depend on maybe some of the creative, but it looks to me like they might be starting to push the revival as baby faces, potentially. They announced that Finn Balor is not here tonight, and they're giving the uh, storyline reason because of Drew McIntyre's attack last week. And he's also out of the mix match challenge, but they are still promoting him for the match on Sunday. Uh, from my understanding, it's not a big thing. Uh, it's just a matter of he does have to be cleared for something in order to uh, wrestle. And they're hopeful, I guess, that he'll be ready for Sunday, the fact that they're promoting him. But it doesn't sound like it's a, a very big thing. Right, okay. Uh, you know, this might be a good way to get him out of the Mixed Match Challenge because uh, I don't think he would have won it anyway with Bailey, um, seeing that he has his own match at TLC. So might as well just have the guy, you know, be replaced by Apollo Crews, who could probably eat the pin. So Apollo could be number 30 and get a vacation after Finn did all the work? Uh, theoretically, yes. Yes, Man. he could take the vacation. Yeah. God, this is a really unfair tournament. Oh, I don't know how they split it. Maybe like Apollo pays him or like buys him a really nice souvenir. That'd be nice. Rude and Gable are with the titles backstage. They're interviewed. Rude said there wasn't much hope for Raw. <laughs> Actually said this. There wasn't much hope for Raw. But if they put in the work, they would be champions. And Gable says that if you thought we would win this handicap match, you might have questioned our mental health. But they won the titles. And they were just happy and that was it they didn't get attacked from behind there wasn't some big segment to uh, get the revenge with, for the heels they just allowed the baby faces to celebrate a rarity on raw it seemed like a direct you know addressing of that criticism the fact that there have been too many heat getting segments on this show bobby Roode said it himself there hasn't been much hope for uh <laughs> the baby faces on the show the uh, uh in these in this month Natalia comes out. She says she loves this business and WWE, but Ruby Riot doesn't respect anyone or anything in this business. And Ruby made it personal when she destroyed her father's sunglasses and destroyed his legacy. I didn't know the two were so intertwined. Natalia says, did, I wasn't... Sorry, go ahead. Did she say destroy his legacy or, or, or was it just like... Uh, tried to destroy, maybe. Maybe she said tried. I guess by... Starting with the sunglasses. Yes. Natalia says she wasn't given anything and said, do you remember the Montreal screw job? I just disintegrated in my chair and just fell down on the ground. I was unconscious for about eight minutes because I thought, I can't do this. I can't possibly do Vince McMahon on a rampage at Raw, and he's writing a promo about the Montreal screw job. And those are, those so are certainly trigger words for uh, oh, John God. Pollock. I'm done. Uh, so, for, okay, let me just explain this first, and then I'm going to just destroy this logic. She brings up the Montreal screw job as something she had to overcome, citing that Bret Hart punched Vince McMahon in the face. And she had to overcome all of that to make it to WWE. Now, Natalia was signed after 
after Bret Hart got into the Hall of Fame, after he did his DVD project, and like what? Natalia was somehow not going to be signed because of this. What year, what year was she signed? She was signed, I believe it was 07. But the story was that at she attended the Hall of Fame when Brett was going in. And that's when she was kind of introduced to people and spoke to uh, John Laurinaitis. And like she had been on their radar. And then it was afterwards that she ended up... Uh, Getting signed, so I think it was either late '06 or early '07. She was signed. <laughs> That's some damn good recall, man, and some damn good investigation into this logic hole. Well, not to mention, I mean, how many family members have all been either signed or brought back after the screw job? Uh, yeah, sure, yeah. Anyway, uh. This was just, I I just did not understand the need to involve the Montreal screw job. It made no sense. And oh my God. I I didn't hate it. I mean, I I understood the point of it. You know, you needed a reason for Natty to explain that she was not given her position. I mean, similar to, you know, what Charlotte has to, the type of promo Charlotte has to cut every single time when she's criticized for, you know, being the daughter of Ric Flair. Uh, like this was Natalia trying to address that she didn't get, you know, any, any type of, uh, uh, like special treatment because she, she comes from the Hart family. In fact, she had to work out of it. Now, I mean, I don't know how many people would have made the connection that you made, John. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it, it makes no sense, I suppose, when, when you kind of bring it up like that. But I thought the logic was totally sound, you know, with, with her wanting to bring this up. It's a trigger word for us, certainly, but I think to your, to your uh, you know, a certain demographic of, of your audience, they will perk up when they hear the words Montreal Screwjob as, you know, maybe some type of indicator that, hey, this promo might be real. This might be a bit of a word shoot. Beyond that, I thought, I thought Natalia, like, did good here. Like, this was one of her better promos. Uh, very passionate, especially when she starts talking about her father. I just think sometimes we we are admittedly just I don't know, and maybe maybe the audience watching Raw, the Montreal screw job is something everybody knows about. Uh certainly you and I do, and most people listening to this show, they don't have to have the Montreal screw job explained. But this is an event that took place twenty one years ago. Twenty one years ago. And we're just dropping it like Every single person watching this show, either you're acknowledging that we have no young fans watching this or 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 this is just completely going over people's head. Like, what? What is this? Vince McMahon was punched in the face. Mm, okay, so but who do you cater the show to? Do you cater the show to your audience who just started watching last week or do you give some fan service to the fans who have been watching since 1997? I think you I think in the end you have to do a bit of everything. And to me, if it, if it's Natalia, a direct descendant from Bret Hart, addressing the Montreal Screwjob in a promo where she's being criticized about, you know, being uh, receiving special treatment because of her family name, I don't think it's such a bad thing. What if she cut a promo saying, listen, my cousin was Teddy Hart. Do you know how much I had to overcome for this company to believe in me? <laughs> hey, uh, somewhat related. Nothing on Dynamite Kid on the show. Didn't really surprise me, to be honest. They with aired you. it. They aired it on NXT, and they aired it on the website. Right, 
Right. Hmm. Maybe their excuse was that uh, five days or, or however many days. I'm not sure. Like NXT no got her. It's not the timing. Like it was a conscious decision not to. NXT turned it around. Like he died Wednesday, and that night they had stuff on the TV. I mean, timing as in a lot of time has passed, and maybe you know we oh. already paid tribute to him in NXT. Like by this point, maybe we don't don't we can be excused by not. I think more so though, it's probably them wanting to stay away from any type of hot button uh, figures, you know, in professional wrestling's history after. Uh, you know what they've been through this year with Moolah, or, or sorry, yeah, Moolah, and and you know even like in the past with like Snuka, um, I can see them like if Dynamite had died yesterday, maybe this would have been a bit of a stickier situation. But I think with enough time passing, they probably would have preferred to just err away from the potential controversy. Yeah, I. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that because I, I mean I spent a lot of my week on on Dynamite Kid last week and I think that through all of the negatives you can speak about the man and there's no shortage of them. I think for somebody that was very iconic, especially throughout the '80s, that you could argue was one of the greatest wrestlers of the '80s. Some would say there's no of doubt. All time. There's yes, there's no doubt, but I have no. Also like in no baseball way, they, t- t- the the biggest comparison in baseball, and this was who people compared Dynamite Kid to, was Ty Cobb, who was a phenomenal baseball player and a disgusting human being. But if Ty Cobb, there's no way Major League Baseball would not acknowledge Ty Cobb's passing. And I just I mean, think look wrestling. At, okay, but what do you think what the, the backlash would be if they did acknowledge him? You know, you. I have, don't think there would have been any backlash way. I really don't. I I disagree. I disagree. I think I think like even with with the stuff with the Ultimate Warrior, um, enough people like I for them. I just wait, see, like, wait. What did we just see last month with Saudi Arabia? Like, are they really that concerned about okay, any but kind of negative money coverage? From the family of the Dynamic Kid. They're not paying. They're not paying him ten million dollars to to say that that bullshit. I mean, we obviously we criticize him for for doing all that, but for them, there is no financial gain. There is no good PR to be gained from this. The only thing that they they would gain from addressing, uh, uh, you know, paying tribute to the Dynamite Kid, is, you know, um, I I think you know pleasing that segment of the audience, which to them, they feel like they've already done on NXT. Yeah, I I mean, it's it's just strange. It's just. Anyway, it's it's a major figure in in your history, and for the for the, for the good and the bad, it's a it's a major figure. I would say but to me, it really is one of those damned if you do, damned damned if you don't situations, especially with somebody like the Dynamite Kid. Yep, you you could be right. You could be right. Uh, but getting back to the promo here, she says she's proud to be a heart and is going to dedicate this Sunday's match to her father, Jim Neidhart, and she starts crying. And she's going to take every emotion to drive Ruby's ass through a table. And uh, to your point, I thought Natalia delivered this very, very well. And she was like near tears. I would say like, like to me, Natalia is certainly not the strongest actor uh, in, especially in the company nor, nor in her division. But here, like there was a moment, especially uh, totally understandable how she could kind of dig deep into like conjuring up these real feelings when talking about her father. And that's like that was like some of the most passion that I've seen from her ever as she was talking to a microphone. She latched onto something real and she ran with it for the for the, for the duration of it. Unfortunately, 
this segment <laughs> had to continue. Ruby comes out uh, along with the riot squad, and they've got a table that is covered. Ruby starts making fun of her crying, tells her to go get a good counselor, and says, you don't represent the hearts. You disgrace your family. This is getting a lot of heat, and she's got her a gift. And it's a table that she reveals has Jim Neidhart's picture on the table. And she says, I'm going to make you and your father closer than ever this Sunday. And the crowd is outraged. And Corey Graves says, that's out of line right there. Yeah. And we end the segment. You know, I think, like, if it, if the idea for this angle was so that Natalia could dedicate a match to her father, that is perfectly, uh, that's a great idea. I think it's perfectly sound. But why throw in the the sunglasses and then, like, her bring a, ta- a photo of Jim the Anvil Neinhard plastered on a table? To me, that's where it got really cheesy and a little distasteful for my liking. I think... Like, Natalia had a great promo here talking about wanting to dedicate a match to her father. Let's leave it at that, you know? Um, like, Benoit versus Bret Hart, that match, de- uh, Kansas City, dedicated to Owen Hart. Listen, man, like, when you're dealing with death, you have to be a little bit sensitive and not kind of, you know, dwell into this, like... <laughs> Wrong company way. <laughs> but what I mean is just, like, well, so what? I don't expect more from WCW than I would from WWE in 2018. Like, what I mean is, like, don't... You this could have been good, you know, but but you're trying to like you're drowning it in this bullshit, breaking glasses and like oh man, to me it just like let's stick away from the uh, the stupid props and stunts and just stick to the great promos if you're gonna do uh, an angle like this. I feel that this program it's it kind of wrapped itself up a couple of weeks ago when Natalia beat her clean. And it felt like the weight was lifted off her shoulder. She avenged the actions that Ruby had perpetrated against her father. And it was over. And now we're going back to this. And it just feels like the feel-good moment is Natalia winning this match. And that makes me think that Ruby's putting her through this table with her dad on it. Yeah, or let's hope maybe they stay away from that table then. You know? Well, that's our tables match coming up on Sunday. Dolph Ziggler did a selfie promo. He said he plucked Drew from his obscurity. He might send him back there. And then he says, I'm not a good guy. I'm not a bad guy. I'm just Dolph Ziggler. I'm just the guy. And he didn't want any help from Finn Balor last week. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it's too bad because I think Dolph like did have like a pretty good run on Raw. But now he's just back to... The boy who cried Dolph, you know, like he's just kind of in this no man's land. He's neither heel nor baby face. And honestly, like I'm at the point again where I just don't really care either way. He's just flip flopped way too many times for me to take him seriously. But he managed to, you know, turn turn us around, I would say, for this year. So maybe he has to wait for another kind of hot prospect to come in to, to latch on to to uh, to impress us again. SmackDown promo, they're going to have Charlotte and Asuka tomorrow night and the rap battle. Cole then mentions that Balor will be back at TLC this Sunday against Drew McIntyre and announcing that Apollo Crews is replacing Bailey in the Mixed Match Challenge. Drew McIntyre is brought out for a promo inside of the ring, <laughs> and he says that no one stays undefeated forever. Andre the Giant didn't, The Undertaker didn't at WrestleMania, and nor did he. But now he's even more dangerous. 
This is a promo about how it's not that important to be undefeated. So all you people that complained about me losing for no reason last week, shut up. Sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Drew McIntyre versus Dolph Ziggler. Uh, They had a match. Uh, Drew went for the air raid crash off the turnbuckle and ended up landing. Ziggler's shoulder just crashes down onto the mat. This looked so painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and they showed the replay of it. I, I don't know how this guy didn't, like, break his arm from this. Yeah, it looked really rough landing right on that shoulder. Drew is beating him down. He's yelling at him and gets caught with a zigzag for a near fall. And then Drew follows with the Claymore kick, winning the match. So 50-50 at its finest way. I love it. This is how you build stars. Well, he avenges, right? I like the match a lot, actually. I certainly liked it more than last week's. From the get-go, I thought they were off to like a really aggressive, heated pace. It was faster. And I thought it had some pretty interesting storytelling elements with like you know drew consistently yelling at ziggler to uh get up and by the end of it it actually started to make me like Dolph a little bit more um obviously no involvement from finn balor on this show because uh he's injured um so we didn't really get that much build for their match coming up on sunday that's understandable bailey and alicia fox was next uh bailey used a back suplex, and then the Sings got onto the apron. They were in Fox's corner with Jinder, and they distracted, allowing Alicia to hit a running boot, and this prompted Apollo Crews to run down to help out, along with Sasha Banks. He attacked Sunil with a back body drop. Sasha hit a Meteora off the apron, and then Sunil was thrown into Jinder, and Apollo lifted up Sasha Banks, military pressed her onto the three, Bailey to belly, and Bailey won in 345. Not much of a match here. You know, it was just more of an angle to remind you about the Mixed Match Challenge tomorrow. Um, you know, and they got the crowd, actually, you know, with Apollo Crews coming in and, and delivering all those shenanigans with the Singh Brothers on the outside. Um, I have to say, at least I prefer this to their open forum segments. Charlie was with Dean Ambrose in his jacket, and she called him the lunatic fringe, and he said, don't ever call me that again. Which I believe... Dean Ambrose has never been crazy about this, uh, the lunatic moniker, especially that name they gave the lunatic lariat. I heard, I'd heard he was not a big fan of. I wonder what nickname he, he does like. Um, Titty Master. You remember that? That could, yep, yep. So, yeah, maybe some options down the road for him to slowly introduce onto a national stage. So, Charlie asks about how Roman would react to all of this. And Dean says, Roman, who cares? So then Charlie says, I've got a video package to throw you. And we go to the longest video. It recaps everything from the tag title win, the night that Roman made his announcement about leukemia. And then it goes into all of the feud between Rollins and Ambrose. This thing was so long. And We come back, and Dean is still there, and he just walks out without reacting to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like, he gives a look. He gives a long look. And the look is up to interpretation. How does he feel about his actions over the past month? Does he feel shame? You know, perhaps he's afraid of Roman coming back to retaliate. I'm not sure. I'll say, like, 
you know, and, and this was certainly way better than previous weeks. No smells, no vaccines, no masks. But I, I still don't feel like he comes across like a serious heel threat at all. There's still something a little too over the top with his delivery that doesn't make it feel like I should be taking him seriously. Like in contrast, Drew McIntyre's promo style, I think is comes across far more sinister and scary than Dean Ambrose, who still kind of, to me, for whatever reason, feels like a caricature. Elias was in the ring. He's now turned his, as a baby face, he now is able to insult the city, but then blame it on the heel he's feuding with for having those thoughts about the city. But he's the opposite. And he ends up singing about how Lashley sucks. And the match was Elias versus Leo Rush with Heath Slater brought out as the referee. And yeah, early on, Leo Rush is using his speed to get out of the way of Elias. It was such a babyface style that Leo Rush was working here. And here's Elias, the big guy who can't catch him. What is he like? Yeah, like they were doomed from the beginning. Look at this. It's Elias versus Leo Rush, a man half his size. And, and and Leo Rush is a guy who wrestles like a baby face. There's like, it's, they were he doomed. He was doing all this cool stuff. He was like, you were cheering on Rush. No, they were doomed from the beginning. Yeah. Rush then ducks a clothesline, lands a spinning wheel kick. It's like total baby face style here. And then he gets caught with a sit-out powerbomb. Lashley attacks him, but Heath Slater doesn't call for the bell because he's in the pocket of Baron Corbin and he's going to help out his friends such as Bobby Lashley. Then there's a choke slam to Elias. Leo Rush grabs the guitar and sends it to Lashley, who breaks it over the back of Elias, and Rush covers him for the pinfall. So at least we had a heel finish after a babyface match for Leo Rush. The match didn't work for me at all. I thought it was stupid to book to begin with, and I think... Very backwards. I think way too similar to the um, Drake Maverick stuff that's happening with AOP. So, you know, Elias, um, even changing up the, the promo at the beginning, I don't know. To me, he feels like he's lost a lot as a babyface. They, to me, they still haven't really quite figured out how to get him more over as a babyface than when he, when he was as a heel. So at some point, I have to imagine that they are thinking about whether or not they should turn the guy back, you know, because I don't think there's any disagreement that he's, he's a better heel than a babyface. And then later we had the announcement that Elias versus Bobby Lashley will now be a ladder match on Sunday with a guitar hanging above the ring. And if you climb up, you can use the ladder as a weapon. You mean guitar? Oh, sorry. The guitar. I guess you could use the ladder too. Isn't that stupid when you have a chair, a table, and... Oh, I guess no, they don't have a chair or a table. They have a ladder though in the table. And the object is to use the ladder to get the inferior weapon so that you can use that to attack your opponent. Maybe it's a non-gimmick guitar. Maybe it's a metal uh, steel guitar, yes. Maybe it's a Fender Stratocaster. Could be. Maybe it's a double. Tune in on one Sunday those, to one find of those, out. Maybe one of those double guitars. Corbin met with Heath Slater in the locker room, said he did a good job, makes a joke about Rhino losing his job. And Slater says, I'm going home. But then he's informed he's refereeing another match tonight. Lexa Bliss comes out for the now face-to-face segment. This was supposed to be a press conference that they had promoted all week. uh, But then it was changed to a face-to-face segment. And it essentially came down to a promo and an interruption. It 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 was Alexa handing Nia a microphone. That's all it was. Yeah. Nothing for Alexa on this show, really. 
Naya and Tamina are out. Naya says that Ronda's logic has been affected by getting hit by four ounce gloves and Ronda should just surrender the title to avoid the humiliation. She says Ronda comes from a world where you talk trash to hype up a fight. I was like, yeah, there used to be a time that was called professional wrestling, but I guess promos have changed over time. Naya says, I don't talk trash. I am the embodiment of the anti-Rousey. Once again, mentions Becky's face being broken with one punch, but she's not going to stop with one punch this Sunday. She's coming for my title. And she just screams. I hate this thing, but I guess that's her thing now to yell about. Man. You know, I, I liked the, the fist stuff a lot. I thought it was really cool how she was cutting half that promo, looking at her fist like she was holding the Infinity Gauntlet. But that random screaming thing has to go. It, 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 again, she's no Sid. You know, she's no master of the universe and no master of the screaming promo. And she's going to erase the myth of Ronda Rousey. Yeah. Rousey comes out, no smile. This was shocking. And she says, I did not come here to hit my poses and talk about fighting. I came here to fight. And Tamina and Nia got onto the apron surrounding her. And Ember Moon came out to back up Ronda. And that took us into our match. I'm admittedly a little bit disappointed that we didn't see this press conference. Because I can only imagine how awful that would have been. It would have been very bad. And I think they learned from last week that those segments with Sasha and Bailey were death. And in particular, that first hour was death last week. So I think they got the message loud and clear about these sit-down talking segments that were not resonating with people. And especially we're not going to with Nia Jax and Risk Ronda in a segment like that. Tamina and Ember Moon had a very short match. Moon hit the uh, the MX coming off the turnbuckle, went for the Eclipse. Ronda pulled Jax off the apron, threw her over the barricade, and Moon then, with a neck snap, hit the Eclipse and won the match. Five minutes, 14 seconds. I thought the match was really boring. Way too long, way too slow of a pace for the third hour. Oh yeah, we're up to the third hour by now. It's just breezing by. Charlie is with Baron Corbin in his office. I felt that Baron Corbin and Charlie might have been in the most segments on this show combined. Yeah, Charlie, asks if, Charlie was there a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie asks if tonight's match is an abuse of power, and he threatens to send her to SmackDown Live, which after the Survivor Series is a very big threat that no Raw talent wants uh, to go to the Losers show. Although they don't care about job performance, so maybe it's an easier time over there. Maybe SmackDown is the WCW. Like, everyone just shows up for a paycheck and no one cares. Well, then send That's me, how they're presenting them in store. Send story. me to WCW, then. It's a far better show. Vacation. But. Everyone gets guaranteed contracts in, on SmackDown. It doesn't matter. So, he says, I'm only joking about sending you to SmackDown. I'm not that mean. And he says he's going to beat Braun by forfeit. And everyone will yell, all hail Baron Corbin. Okay. Then we had a Lars Sullivan promo. He said that whatever happens Sunday will be a minor tremor compared to the catastrophic earthquake when he arrives in WWE. Mm-hmm. So he's doing a natural disaster gimmick. Cool. Seth Rollins, Baron Corbin, TLC match for the Intercontinental title. It was 1030. They got the final 30 minutes of this show. Heath Slater is the referee. Early on, Corbin has the heat, attacking him with chair shots repeatedly. Then Renee is asked about 
if Dean Ambrose wins the Intercontinental title? She says, well, that it's more money in my household. Um, yeah. I yeah, I wonder if they what that means uh in journalism ethics class. This would be a conflict of interest if there ever was one with Renee. The most confusing storyline for her character has been this Dean Ambrose heel turn, but she has financial gain to Dean's uh evil ways bringing him success. Hmm. The ladder gets sent uh set up into the corner and there was a vertical suplex by Baron Corbin sending Rollins into the ladder. Uh, at one point, Corbin's climbing. Rollins springboarded onto the other side and gets pulled down by Baron. They went through two commercial breaks. Rollins fires back with chair shots, hit two suicide dives. On the third, he's caught and chokeslammed through a table on the floor. And then Corbin is climbing, gets stopped with more chair shots. And with one of the chairs, Rollins accidentally takes out Heath Slater. Corbin is then placed onto a table onto the floor. Rollins climbs to the top and he delivers a frog splash through the table on the floor. This was crazy. Look great on TV. Just nuts. Whole crowd is chanting, holy shit. Heath Slater returns and as Seth is climbing, Seth gets tipped off the ladder by Heath Slater, who once again is trying to help Baron Corbin. He helps him up from the ground. Rollins then knocks down Slater, power bombs Corbin through a table in the corner. Crowd was very hot. Super kicks Heath and then delivers the stomp to Corbin, climbing up and taking the title to a huge pop at 24 minutes and 45 seconds. End came with Dean Ambrose just walking out onto the ramp, staring down Seth as they went off the air. Mm-hmm. This was a uh, this was a lengthy match on TV, you know, and I think it was interesting because like when Corbin was in control, this felt very much like your typical Baron Corbin match, just with some rep- weapons thrown in. But when Seth takes over. It becomes a real spectacle. I thought I enjoyed it by the end of it. That I thought they got the crowd by the end of it. It turned into a pretty satisfying main event by the end. I thought all the Slater stuff hit well. I find him a like you know he's great at kind of playing that desperate uh, you know um, uh, every man I suppose whether it's him fighting for a job so that he could support his kids or him trying to decide whether or not um, you know he needs to uh, you know uh, play to Baron Corbin's um, whatever favor. I actually find it pretty compelling and I'm kind of kind of I'm kind of interested to see where where he where he goes. Yeah, th- this wasn't Will Ospreay Taichi in terms of getting a great match out of someone you don't expect it from in uh Taichi or Corbin, but I I thought by the end that the crowd was really hot. I think Seth Rollins felt like a like he he has not been uh slumping or anything like that, but I thought this was a a re-energized Seth Rollins feeling like your top babyface on this show. And and I thought he did a pretty good job here with, with Baron Corbin, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I didn't have too many complaints about the main event. The Baron Corbin heat spots are, I, I think that we're all just traumatized now from seeing so many of them uh, to get through. But really solid ending to the match. I thought you had with the table spot and the stuff with Heath and then Rollins triumphing. I think it was uh, a good end to the show. I thought tonight's Raw was a big improvement over previous weeks. I think clearly much of it was designed as a reaction to criticisms from previous weeks. There's no more Lucha House Party again. No more silly Dean Ambrose segments. No more piss angles. And I thought there was some pretty solid wrestling in the form of the main event. Ziggler McIntyre I enjoyed. It's still not, I would say, a great show. But at least for now, I think to me, the bleeding has stopped. Let's hope they stay the course. 
Yeah, and also considering, like, this was a week where, I mean, we talked about last week, like, Finn Balor having a match late in the third hour was just a breath of fresh air, and you didn't even have him this week. You don't have Roman. You don't have Braun. You don't have Sami Zayn. You don't have Kevin Owens. Like, it's, they have really been hit by a lot on this show. Um, So I do take that into account, but I will say the last couple of weeks, like, it just felt like, I know it's not fair to say unmotivated, but it just felt like we're throwing stuff out there, and even if it doesn't work, we're not reacting. We're just putting the same stuff out there. At mm-hmm. least tonight, whether you liked the show or didn't like the show, and there was stuff I didn't like about it, but there was also stuff I liked, and it felt like, okay, we know there's a problem. We're addressing that this has been a pretty dead-end show of late, and we're aware of it, and we're going to try and change some things up. So I think just having that knowledge, I think added to a bit more enthusiasm you felt in the show. Yeah. I think centering the show around Seth Rollins is like already makes the show feel like it's a better show. A glaring weakness of it is still the Baron Corbin, which I mean, seeing the trend of ratings, I have to imagine he's losing that match. Obviously if Braun Braun Strowman's coming back, so he'll probably lose that match. And then this might be the end of, of the Baron Cor- Corbin GM run. It should be. It's run its course. You yeah. got as, like, he was a Band-Aid. Uh, I think he needs to lose this match. And I can see Alexa taking on that role if you're not ready to bring Hunter and Stephanie back or put someone else in the GM role. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Baron is not the answer. Yeah. So that was Raw. I'm curious to see what everyone here on the forum uh, voted for tonight's Raw. We have a scale of one to ten. That's just te- the new it's, range. It's a technical bug. That's what's been causing the issues. We can't go zero for whatever reason. So they maybe the WWE has hacked into it and said one is the lowest we can go. Hey, you know what happened? What we had the one week where we got a point eight three. Yeah. Ever since then, and like, now they were banned. It, it will never be beaten. We can never give a point eight three again. It hit its lowest, and now this bug system will never allow us to have a lower rated raw than that week. It was incredibly strange. I have no idea why. Like for two weeks, I couldn't figure out why. Why was it I couldn't make these polls on this forum? And it's because we can't make zero the lowest value anymore. And it just happened like the week after Raw had like that terrible show. So. Uh yeah maybe that will will be an raw all-timer. broke our voting system yeah. that's the only logical conclusion all right scale of one to ten I'm gonna say people go five on this show I don't think they're gonna go higher I already saw it oh a four point two three all right well baby steps I guess for this show mm-hmm. and we will see what happens next week when they go into always the most terrifying periods when they have super long gaps before pay-per-views because they've got like uh five six weeks until the royal rumble afterwards and you're going through the holiday season Mm -hmm. like we they have to tape raw ahead of time for the like that christmas eve raw i don't know what we can expect on that christmas eve raw it's the christmas eve raw and the christmas day smackdown and the new year's eve raw and the new year's day smackdown oh might get some uh well Let's reserve judgment. Ari from Montreal. With the last two weeks, I was actually debating what to watch between watching Raw and Spider-Man 3, which was on another channel. And everyone knows how bad Spider-Man 3 was. But I digress. I love the fact that Corbin is being blamed for ratings. I kept channel surfing, so I only watched the main event, and it was good. No Corbin chin locks. 
I can't believe Slater actually threw Rollins off. I, I, okay, this is, uh, just the last note, is it me or does Slater remind you of Shane when he was referee the time before the Survivor Series Deadly Game Tournament? Um, they were both wearing referee shirts. <laughs> Andrew from yes. Cape Breton. I did feel like tonight was some sort of make good for the past few weeks, but Raw was still pretty lacking. I feel bad for the Lucha House Party getting buried pretty getting buried pretty badly in the opening segment. Hopefully they just correct the course for them and don't give up on them based on bad booking. Speaking of which, if they're going to keep capitalizing on Jim Neidhart's death, why not just go all out? Maybe she could read a poem to Natty like the big boss man did when Big Show's dad died. Tonight had... Well, the difference is Big Show's dad was already dead for years before that angle. Uh, Anyway. Yeah, and that one was criticized a lot, too. I mean, it just... It got so ridiculous in that one, but they did some terrible stuff during that, too. There was one where they... They announced his father died and went to do a 10 bell salute and big boss man interrupted the 10 bell salute. Like, could you imagine them trying that today? Like it was that one got today. That one's looked back on as more comedy, but people were really turned off by that in 99. Tonight had some decent stuff. The main event has me somewhat perplexed though. Who called for the bell when Seth Rollins pulled down the title? Maybe it was Heath, Heath Slater after being kicked. We can start calling this Ref Red Hair. <laughs> like red shoes. And no, he'll <laughs> accept any outside interference or assaults and just shrug it off. I bet the Tongans would want in the WWE with referees like that. Five out of ten show. Yeah, it kind of made no sense to even have a referee in that match if the referee doesn't need to be involved or conscious for the finish. True, yeah. Jay from Colorado, another pretty abysmal edition of Raw. Nothing really connected with me, and I didn't even realize until about an hour in it was a go-home show for TLC. There have been rumors that Vince was frustrated with the direction of Raw and rewrote the episodes during the last few weeks shortly before airing. Any truth to this? Um, I don't know about last week. That had been the story of two weeks before that he had uh, kind of made a lot of changes. And, I, I mean, this was a show that, that, like, that opening segment was, like, that was clearly Vince McMahon. And coming straight from him, obviously, on the state of the show and what he was unhappy with. So that was probably the most transparent segment into Vince McMahon's current opinion of Raw was that opening 15 minutes. It was very fascinating. Yeah. Um, We'll see. We'll see uh, if this trend continues, if Raw actually, you know, goes goes through some real change. Um, Anyway, or maybe the gimmick is Raw sucks and they're just going to run with this. We have SmackDown is the inferior brand, but Raw sucks, <laughs> which I mean, honestly, in storyline, if you really want to get deep, Raw is coming off of that annihilation at the Survivor Series. And then that's the storyline opening segment tonight is that the show sucks. It's very strange. Very. Thank you, everybody, for your feedback. We appreciate it. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for us. As you can see, lots of shows coming up this week. Tune in Tuesday night. We will be giving away our prize pack to one of our patrons. So go check that out. Uh, of course, you can join us. Postwrestling.com, postwrestlingcafe.com. Lots of big shows coming up this week. And that's it. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll chat with you on Tuesday night.
Hey, this is Colt Cabana. I've been wrestling on the independent wrestling scene for the past 20 years, from the gathering of the Juggalos to the border towns in Mexico. My podcast is The Art of Wrestling, and each week I document my adventures. We're in Wingchow, which is about an hour outside of Shanghai by flight. So the sumo hall, the whole bottom is like where they watch sumo wrestling. The ring is in the middle, so there's chairs there, and then the whole there's a whole top tier too, right? Yeah. I'm coming up on 18 years of independent professional wrestling and nothing but. And to see it get to this level, I've got goosebumps like three times during the show. As a guy who had a, a snake his whole career, do you feel akin to like the animals here and stuff? Just a freak show part of it. There you go. Yeah. We're on a boat in the middle of nowhere and this thing came flapping in and it was like in slow motion. It just crashed. It, was it like... crashed into the front row. Hear a new documentary every week about the weird world of pro wrestling, the art of wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts or colcabana.com.